invite you to take your Bibles out and turn to Isaiah chapter 52, and we're going to be going through the first 12 verses together. Isaiah 52, verse 1 through 12, and if you didn't bring a Bible, there's Bibles under the seats uh, in front of you, somewhere in that aisle, and you can take one of those out. And if you do not own a Bible, take one of ours, and we would love for you to have that permanently. As we have been journeying through this incredible, complex, beautiful book together. We're actually now coming upon an amazing series of teachings and chapters, Isaiah 52, 53, and 54. Isaiah 52, we're looking at today in 54, really strong images of Zion, the building of an incredible city of the living God, the the holy bride that's going to be lifted up from the dust and the mess of sin and to have this holy readiness for Zion's, for the holy city's wedding day. And it's a powerful thing to look at and we're going to enjoy that over the next few weeks. We're going to come to it again later on in the next few months in Isaiah 60 through 66. Zion is made beautiful, is made radiant, made ready, beautified by the, the streaming of the nations coming to it, the glory of the nations streaming into the city, making it beautiful. Isaiah 52, the idea of Zion is a prophetic picture that we're going to look at this morning. The true Jerusalem, yes, being built, but yes, it's real, it's physical, it really happened, but the picture here is for something way greater than just that. The idea of Zion as as earthly Jerusalem gives way here for us in the new covenant to the heavenly city that's being built by the gospel. Now in Isaiah, we have a transition in the words, and we're still concerned, yes, about the physical city and the picture here, the shadow, but the prophetic picture, the actual city and things going on there is very important. And being there this last week reminded me of all of that, but it also reminded me that it is just a shadow of what to come. And it's it's, you can resonate with Christ when he looked over the city, especially when you're up there on the Mount of Olives and you're looking down on it. You can resonate with that moment that he wept over the city. Because when you're walking through the city and you're seeing people praying at the, the Western Wall there, uh, which is not even the wall of the temple, it's just the retaining wall. And they're not praying in Christ, so there's no mediator for them. They're, they're, they're hoping for a, a city still that uh, will be just physical. They, they don't understand the Messiah. And there's an element of while you're there in the majesty of, of walking in the steps of Christ, Included in walking in the steps of Christ is the sadness that he felt over people that just don't get it. And we have that in our families, don't we? 
that, that sadness that you can feel when you have people in your families, people that you know that, that are wandering, that, that are so far away from God that just don't get it. And in this today, we are going to see a picture of the final work of redemption that God is doing. Where the nations do get it. Where God's people rise up. So we see Zion defiled, despised, rejected, the filth of sin, the dusty rubble of wrath and judgment from God. And it was incredible to walk along a first century road, Roman road, where they threw parts of the temple off the side. And they're just, it's just rubble. It's still there. I took a piece of it. <laughs> I've done that twice now. We'll delete that from the uh, video later. But it's suffered from the wrath of God. But in this section of Scripture, it's now being called up to rise out, to be cleansed from all of the sin, all of the rubble, all of the junk of not following God, and to be exalted by one thing and one thing only, the grace of God. The time of judgment is over and the time of glory is at hand and the rising up and the cleansing that we see here is a picture of the redemptive work of God in Christ for all of us. We're called on to get out of the muck of sin, the rubble of the culture we live in, when you wake up this morning and you hear of multiple more people killed in our city, the rubble of sin, and Isaiah is looking forward and he's saying there's a time of glory that will be at hand, and we need to live a life in the midst of that, in the midst of the rubble and the junk of this world, we need to live a life that is glorifying to God. That's what we're going to see here. And so it starts out in verse 1 in chapter 52 with these simple words, awake, awake. And it would be wrong to do this like awake, awake, right? That's not the point. The point is wake up, people, wake up. Get with it. I loved being a counselor at junior camp with, with the, the dinky dude kids when I was in college. You, you go in, in the morning, the first morning, you didn't really count because they were still wired from everything. But the second morning when they were thrashed and it's time to wake up, it was amazing what you had to do to get these kids up. 
you're, you're clapping and screaming and yelling and getting them outside and they, they drag outside and we had this big area where we played softball and every, every morning we'd get all of the campers out there and they'd line up in their groups with their counselors and we would say the, the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag and we would say the Pledge of Allegiance to the Christian flag and then we would start, this is the day, this is, and the kids are right and we'd do it over and over and over again until they were going, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. And it was like, wake up, wake up. Clothe yourself in your strength, O Zion. Clothe yourself in your glorious garments. O Jerusalem, the holy city, for the uncircumcised and the unclean will no longer come into you. Shake yourself from the dust. Rise up, O captive Jerusalem. Lose yourself in the chains around your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. God wants Zion to stop feeling sorry for herself. Throw off the chains. Put on the beautiful garments laid out for her. Why? Because a throne awaits, a throne of glory. You see, there was a time when the faithful city had fallen to the level of really a prostitute. They prostituted themselves for other faiths, for other gods. But now, after all of this, God is giving grace and he's lifting them up He's lifting up Zion, who is the queen, by the power of his grace and his grace alone. Now, let's be real. The Jewish exiles, when they're hearing this, they don't see themselves in any remarkable way, right? Would they at that point? They feel neither the magnitude of their guilt, they're just kind of, eh, nor the majesty of God's grace. And true, they were the captive daughter of Zion. Yeah, their sufferings were real. But what we had seen through this book is that they had lost their sense of God. And they felt like victims. I sit there and I go, wow, that's the culture we live in today. Everyone is a victim. Everyone's a victim. Everyone seems to have lost their sense of any sort of understanding of God. And yes, the sufferings are real. They are. And I think that's why Martin Luther said that we need to hear the gospel again and again and again. As a pastor, sometimes I catch myself, do I share the gospel too much up front? And then I go, hold it, that's really bad for me to think. (laughs) Martin Luther actually said it this way, it cannot be beaten into our ears enough or too much. Yes, though we learn it and understand it, and he's talking about the gospel here, yet there is none that takes hold of it perfectly or believes it with all of his heart. So frail a thing is our flesh and disobedient to the Spirit. What what he's getting at and what we see here is the truth is, is we seem to scarcely believe 
that through Christ we have a new dignity, a new distinction, a new freshness, a new freedom. As Isaiah says here, he's urging us to enter into the experience of a new position. Wake up! Wake up! Put on the new garments! Paul says in Galatians 5.1, for, for freedom Christ has set us free. Not to sit around and think about the theory of what it means to be free, but he has set us free. Stand firm, he says in the same verse, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Wake up. Get up. The new identity we receive from Christ does not oppress others. It doesn't cause pain. It actually says that there will be no more that come into you that are the uncircumcised and the unclean. Well, what does that mean? Well, those that come into the new city are what? They're given new clothes, right? A new life, a new person in Christ. The New Testament makes it clear God's definition of who is clean and who is unclean is surprising to us. God calls anyone clean who has been washed in the blood of Christ. Isaiah's point is that the glory of Zion will never be taken away again because it isn't going to be about worldly prestige, not even religious prestige. And man, they're all about walking around in their religious prestige there. But you always come out in a cruel game of winners and losers and that type of stuff. What sets people free, what sets the people of God apart is the beauty of holiness. Put on your garments, O Jerusalem. Why do I say holiness? Clothe yourself in your glorious garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. The beauty of holiness. And the interesting part for that in us is that anyone can come into that with Christ. Zechariah 3, 4. He answered and spoke to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. Again, he said to them, See, I have made your iniquity pass away from you and will clothe you with festival robes. I, the church I was at before, we had a lot of people that were first generation American, and they were from uh, different parts of Africa. And on special Sundays, they wore the coolest clothes on the planet. And it really made you sense what, you know, it's like that it was, it was just a festival of incredible color. And it was a celebration. And it wasn't about, the, look at me, look at me. It was a celebration of look at what Christ has done for me. And that's what I picture here in that. 
And how? How does that happen? How can the city of God be open to everyone then, even as the uncircumcised and the unclean will never come in? How is that? Well, he answers that in the next few verses, in that God is extending grace. For thus says Yahweh, you were sold for nothing and you will be redeemed without money. For thus says Lord Yahweh, my people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there. Then the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. So now what do I have here, declares Yahweh, since my people have been taken away for nothing? Yahweh declares, those who rule over them howl, and my name is continually blasphemed all day long. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, I am the one who is speaking. Here am I. The beautiful thing about this is that the community of redemption that is seen here is open to all because God refuses every penny of our work, our self-righteous moral currency. And if you want to look that up, look up Philippians 3, 3 through 9. Some, of, some people really have a hard time with this. Others don't. But let's just, we have to reiterate this. Every one of us has nothing to offer God. Nothing. When you hear people say, but I'm a good person, let me backtrack. That's nothing to God. You still sin. One sin is the same as multiple sins. It separates us from God. If someone came up to me this morning afterwards and said, Scott, I just have a hard time with that. I would be, well, take that up with God. But you're going to lose. See, what happens is that so many of us get so into admiring ourselves and the way that we kind of craft ourselves and kind of you know, if you take a look at a plant, you kind of prune and you preen and you, you're like, I'm, I am Scott. <laughs> and it's all unclean to God. And it's actually domineering to others then. I have a confession to make. I am a self-flatterer, and so are you. And God is offering all of us true worth that we cannot create on our own by grace, by His grace. Christ pays our way in advance. He pays it in full by his own merit. Or what happens? The deal's off. I don't watch much TV unless it's a sports thing. But I know in the past they used to have a lot of infomercials on TV. 
And one of the big things that they would do is like, you can pay as you go. Seven easy installments, right? That type of thing. God has no pay-as-you-go plan. Well, if he did, then it would mean we could kind of retain our pride. There is a reason why Jesus said it's really hard for someone that's wealthy to get into heaven and to understand that because it's humiliating for accomplished people to be given free entry because they didn't deserve it. So hold it. I, I, I deserve this. I've got seven degrees on my wall. And God's like, well, you don't have the one you need. But I'm going to pay it off in advance. Now, we see what the alternative is here in this section of Scripture. The Syrian oppressed them. You, you, that's, that's what the alternative is to grace. Oppression. When we are filthy in our sin, what are we? We're oppressed. We feel awful. We look at what we do and we say or whatever that's going on in our families and at work or whatever, and you just, you know, I feel oppressed. I, I'm oppressing others. This is, this is just yuck. It's either grace or oppression. And I think one of the things we have to do is we have to Overcome our dread of being loved by God. Because that means we have to give up on ourself. You see, God has to redeem his people. And so he does. And just like we were sold for nothing without money, we are going to be redeemed without that. God doesn't owe our master, the sinful masters, anything. He doesn't owe them anything but destruction. He's going to destroy them, right? He's going to destroy the sin. He's going to cast it how far? For as far as from east for west, you're not going to be able to see it. He's going to destroy Destroy without money, going to redeem his people. And we know how he's going to do that. If you've been with us on Thursday nights, you've heard this already in 1 Peter 1. You know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. Does this sound familiar to what we're just talking about? from the empty way of life handed down to you by your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, the lamb without blemish or defect. That's what redeems us. Now we're going to get into that big time in the next week or two here. 
But if you look at the end of this chapter, if you look at verse 15, thus he will sprinkle many nations. Sprinkle them with what? Well, his grace, but what is the grace come from? How is it manifested? It's through Christ's blood. And then the next, next chapter in Isaiah 53, 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We could say by his wounds we are redeemed. The blood of Jesus brought us back out of this. The blood of Jesus brought us out of slavery to sin without a dime, without a penny. And in a couple chapters, in chapter 55, we're going to have another call. The call today is awake, awake. In 55, you're going to, one translation says, ho, ho which could be translated for us, hey, everybody, all who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Without money, without cost. Why? Because it's the blood of Christ. Come to Jesus and be free. He doesn't, Need anything from you. He gives something to you that you could never afford, that you could never pay the price of, right? It's a gift. There's a reason it's a gift from God. You can't afford it. Afford it. I can't afford it. Don't try to pay for it. That's an insult really to God. Accept his gift of grace. And the end result of this redemption without money is that Zion will know that it is God, it is the Lord, it is Yahweh that did it. We're going to get into heaven and we'll have no doubt about the sovereignty of God and salvation. There's all kinds of debates that go on all the time from people and churches and all this type of stuff go back and forth on God's sovereignty and God's salvation. You know what I enjoy? There'll be no debating in heaven. We will all know God did this. From beginning to end, we will give him the glory and the credit and the praise. We will know that God foretold it and he brought it about and he bought it. And God intends to display the glory of His grace to all who come to Him. And so His eager heart sends messengers into the world to awaken their faith. In verses 7 through 10, there's going to be this victorious homecoming of God. Let's back up to verse 6 for just a second. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, I am the one who is speaking. Here am I. And then we jump into verse 7. How lovely on the mountains are the feet who proclaims good news. Does that sound familiar? Some of you may have heard that before. 
who announces peace, proclaims good news of good things, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voices. They shout joyfully together, for they will see with their own eyes when Yahweh returns to Zion. Break forth, shout joyfully together, you waste places of Jerusalem. For Yahweh has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem. Yahweh has bared his holy arm in the sight of all the nations that at the end of the earth may see the salvation of our God. Now, Isaiah is not admiring someone's feet here. What he's saying is there's going to be a welcome sound in the footstep of a runner bringing the good news. And what you have to think of is a Greek warrior running from Marathon to to Athens in 490 BC. And the message that this Greek runner has is, rejoice, rejoice, we conquered. And he had to get that word back to his people so they wouldn't surrender unnecessarily to the defeated Persians that were around them. Or we might think of someone today pacing back and forth, waiting in suspense for an important phone call. And when it finally rings, they jump for excitement. Draft day for NFL players. Those young guys sitting there at home and they're watching everything and the phone rings. Hello? I'm sorry, Aunt. No. That's not the message. Hello? We just picked you. And your life is now completely different. God has picked you. And your life is now completely different. You have been bought by God. And the price was Christ and his blood. And what is God's good news to sinners? Your God reigns. That's how Isaiah sums the whole thing up. Three words. Your God reigns. The message is not that we can make God victorious, but that His grace has already won the victory over everything that oppresses us. We do not surrender. The message is not that God loves us, but that He loves us with a love that cannot be defeated. It cannot be defeated even by our own stupidity. This is the gospel. The finished work of Christ on the cross, his resurrection and ascension, royal authority over everything, prophet, priest, king. There is power within the good news to lift us out of the defeatism of this world. There is no end to the impact of the gospel, amen? It's the only cause in the world that, it, that succeeds, 
And Isaiah envisions a lone messenger running to the city of God with the good news. Welcomed by the watchman on the city wall in verse 8. The city bursting into song in verse 9. And drawing the nations into the spreading circle of joy as far as the ends of the earth in verse 10. And the new city is like 12 cubits by 12 cubits. That's like big. It's huge. And it's full of God's people. And so Isaiah wraps this up in verses 11 and 12 with just, you know what then? You need to depart. Depart from where you're laying down. You need to wake up. You need to get up and start the pilgrimage. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch nothing unclean. Go out of the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who carry the vessels of Yahweh. But you will not go out in haste, nor will you go as those who flee. For Yahweh will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. We're going to spend a tiny bit of time on that because I don't think we picture that in our mind enough in our everyday life. But what Isaiah is getting at here is, okay, are you going to get up? What city is going to be your home? What city is going to be your home? Is it going to be Babylon or is it going to be Zion? See, the people of God cannot remain as they are. You have to take off the old and put on the new. Israel had to leave Egypt. The exiles had to flee Babylon. And we too must decide and we need to get moving. God is telling us to run from every system of false self-salvation and run from it fast. He expects us to make a clean break. What does he say there? Touch nothing unclean. It's a clean break. Why? Because he's got something better. God's not calling for our withdrawal from living in Los Angeles. God is not calling us to all build bunkers in Idaho. But what God is doing is calling for our spiritual distinction in this world. You see, in Christ, he gives his people a new dignity, a new priesthood that we bear the vessels of the Lord, as it says in Numbers 1.50. To put it in New Testament terms, we have been approved by God. Check this verse out later, 1 Thessalonians 2.4. Been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. What does that mean? We have to be clear in our message, clear in our influence. We are bearing a holy thing out to the nations. Anything about us that might make the victory of God kind of ambiguous or unattractive must go. The gospel is so beautiful, 
we have zero right to contaminate it. We must purify ourselves of what? Everything unclean. And Isaiah gives us two reasons to remake our lives into this holy pilgrimage. In verse 12, our motivation is not panic, but confidence. Not loss, but gain. What did Paul say? I count everything as loss for the glory of Christ. You know what? You're going to get knocked around by life. As a Christian who is walking in a distinctive new path with these new clothes that don't match the world around us, guess what's going to happen? You're going to look actually pitiful in the eyes of the world. But we have to remember we're not the trashed ones. We're, we're priests in a procession. God made us that way. One of the reformers a long time ago said, he was told, someone came up to him and said, all the world is against you. And so he replied, well, then I guess I'm against all the world. The tomb of John Knox says, Here lies the man who never feared the face of clay. Confidence. You can beat us up. You can jail us. They did that to the disciples, the apostles, right? Would you consider any of them losers? Nope, or we wouldn't be here. Confidence. Second, God is our escort. All the way. Which says something too. God is on the move. Do you agree with that? God is on the move. He goes before His people in victory. And I love that He follows after for the ones that can barely make it. So when you are that person that's like, God, I, I don't have anything left. I am a mess. I am, I am as weak as it comes. I, I am as frail spiritually as it can be. God's there going, I got you. You will make it. He's leading and he's following us up behind. What that means is that his loving presence surrounds us all the time. We have no reason to stay put. We have a lot of good reasons to press on. Philippians 3, brothers, I do not consider myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, think this way. And if in anything you think differently, God will reveal that also to you. Let's get out of being asleep in our self-absorption of who we are in despair because all along Christ has been busy. 
He has won the most meaningful victory imaginable on our behalf. And like I say many times in this room, it would be wrong for me to assume that everyone in here is a Christian. And so I've said a lot about the gospel this morning. The Bible is very specific about the content of the gospel message. 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Here it goes. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Paul, in that section of scripture, emphasizes the primary necessity of the gospel, the first importance that it is. The gospel message contains two historical facts, both supported by scripture, Christ's death and Christ's resurrection. Both those facts are bolstered by other proofs, and I can give you two of them that I was available to be at this last week. There are two sites in Jerusalem where they think maybe Jesus was buried there. And there's debate about it all the time. But the most important fact of both of those sites is Jesus is not there. He's risen. So I don't care about the site. I care about that he rose from the dead. His resurrection is proved by hundreds of witnesses. He has won the most meaningful victory imaginable on our behalf. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news that God provided the way for man to be free from the penalty of sin, and it was bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Everyone dies physically, but those who believe in Jesus Christ are promised a resurrection unto eternal life. And that's what Martin Luther kept saying, pound that in my ears all the time. Because the world certainly isn't pounding that into any of our ears, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ is the best news anyone will ever hear. And what a person does with this news will determine where he or she spends eternity. God is calling you to choose life in him. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Romans 10, 13. So, for those of you who have called upon the name of the Lord, Romans also says, we are more than conquerors. He is sending us, as we see here in chapter 52, depart, depart. He is sending us to the nations with a message of pure and endless joy. 
open to all who call upon his name. He is watching over us as we see in these verses here at the end. He is watching over us everywhere we go. He is coming again in a final and eternal victory. And so you know what, everyone? Let's wake up. Let's be ready. Let's put on the new clothes. Let's throw off what sin was entangling us and put on the new clothes of Christ. Let's get on with our work while we still have time because what, of, what is our work? We share the gospel. And everywhere that you see the gospel mentioned, there's an urgency to it. I guarantee you, Look into it, look around where the gospel is presented, and there's an urgency because everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord understands what a difference it makes. And I've got to share that. I've got to depart, I've got to depart. And Yahweh will go before us, and the God of Israel will will be your rear guard. Amen? Let's pray together.